Hi there, I'm Keaton. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way that you can do that is by texting River Connect. That's one word to the number 97,000. You can also head to our website, theriverchurch.cc, to learn more about us in upcoming events. Lastly, if you want to give to the River Church, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321 or head to our website and click the Give tab. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. So growing up, I moved around a lot. That was just kind of the thing in my family. I've lived in Minnesota. I've lived in a multitude of different uh, places in Florida. I've lived in Chicago. Um, And one of the things that they don't tell you is so difficult about moving around a lot is it's really hard to decide what sports teams to root for. Right? You guys thought I was going to say something else. You know, like, oh, it's hard to make new friends. You know, it's hard to do this, hard to do that. No, the hardest thing for me has always been trying to figure out what sports team to root for. Right? Uh, when I lived in Florida, uh, I, my dad, he's from Florida. He's a big Tampa Bay Bucks fan. He's a Tampa Bay Devil Rays fan. Right? That's kind of like his thing. He's a Tampa Bay Lightning fan. My mom is born and raised in Minnesota. My wife is born and raised in Minnesota, right? They're Vikings fans. They're Twins fans. There's Timberwolves fans, right? That is kind of their thing. And then there's me, right? And I've lived in both. And then I've also lived in Chicago. And I've spent a good amount of time in Michigan. But I'll never be a Detroit Lions fan because that's just pain and hurt, right? But uh, I, had, I have to pick, you know, like what, what sports teams I going to root for. And, and, I, and I'm sorry to tell you, there are very few, uh, you know, Michigan sports that I root for. I, I mean, I like the Tigers to win, but, you know, if they win, they don't win. It doesn't really ruin my day like some of you. I know it does, right? But for me, there was one clear moment that helped me decide specifically my favorite baseball team, the team that I always root for. And... Uh, up until this point, I, you know, I kind of been moving around, you know, like, oh, I'll root for the Rays, I'll root for the Tigers, uh, uh, the Twins, they just always disappoint as well. Uh, but there was one moment in 2016 that forever solidified the Chicago Cubs as my favorite baseball team. And if you know anything about baseball, as soon as I said 2016 and the Chicago Cubs, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because in 2016, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Now, before you think that I'm like some fair weather fan and I only like to root for the teams that win, that is not me, all right? Uh, for me, the, the moment that changed was in 2016, I lived in Chicago And I was down in Wrigleyville the night that they won the World Series. Now, if that's not significant enough, if you know anything about baseball history, before this happened in 2016, there was a 73-year drought that the Chicago Cubs had not won the World Series. And everyone kind of attributed to this curse, right? The curse of the billy goat. And so there was this this constant, like, defeat. Everyone loved the Cubs, but they knew the Cubs would never win because of the so-called curse. But when we were down in Wrigleyville, there was this moment where it was like, it's going to happen, 
right? I was down there. I was down there for when they for when they won the game to get into the World Series and advance to the World Series. But then I was down in Wrigleyville the night of the game where they won the World Series. I'm sitting right outside the stadium because they were actually uh, playing away at that point, and I'm watching through this storefront in a TV that, no lie, is probably this big, and we're all gathered around in the street, and we're watching, and you can hear, it was crazy to me, you could hear the lag of the television because, like, we would cheer, and then all of a sudden, you would hear down the street uh, at another place, they would start cheering, and then there's a restaurant behind us, and then all of a sudden, they would start cheering, right, because the TVs were synced up at different times, and there was this moment where we're all waiting, where it's like, this could be it. And then they win, and there's just this eruption in the street, right? People are throwing stuff. People are climbing light poles and street signs and traffic lights. People are marching everywhere. There's a multitude of different parades in the city. It was pandemonium. It was chaos, but it was chaos in like a good way, in a happy way, in a way of excitement. And I remember being down there and thinking to myself, this is incredible. There are all these people who really, we have nothing in common except for the fact that we're in Chicago and we wanted the Cubs to win and they won and we're excited about it. And we're so unified in that fact that we're all celebrating together. People are hugging people they don't even know, right? High fives are being given to everyone. Everyone's trying to make sure everyone's taken care of and being safe, right? Like everyone is just celebrating together. And the reason why I think that it was so hyped up, the reason why it was so unlike any place that I'd ever been was not just because they won, but it was because it was the culmination of this 73 years of waiting, right? Everyone had been waiting. This was the time. Everyone was like, oh, when's it going to happen? Is it going to be this year? Is it going to be this year? Is it going to be this year? And there was this, this hype that had built up year after year, decade after decade, and it culminated in this moment of finally, finally, finally they've done it. Finally, we've gotten where we need to be. What we've been waiting for has finally come. And this morning, we're going to be talking about heaven. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 21. We're going to be diving into what heaven is and this new heaven and this new earth and Jerusalem as it comes down from heaven and is presented to us. And it's incredible not only because it's this new heaven and this new earth, but it's incredible because it's all that you and I have been waiting for. It's the culmination of what everything points to. It's the finale, and it's a finale, unlike your favorite TV show, that will not disappoint, that will not disappoint, and it is the ending we all have been waiting for, and it has come. But before we jump in, let's pray together. Lord, this morning, I come and I'm thankful Lord, as I look forward 
to heaven, and I look at this world that's fading away, Lord, I'm thankful that you've laid out in your word what is to come, and that it is so much greater than anything I could ever imagine or think up, Lord, because you are there. In your precious name, Jesus' name, amen. So like I said this morning, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to kind of highlight some different sections because um, really I could just sit up here and read the whole chapter, but there are some specific sections that I really want to highlight. But as we've been in Revelation, right, we've been looking at this end time, this, this apocalypse and what is happening that will culminate in the end of all things. And uh, last week we took a look at this great white throne judgment, this judgment seat where everything will pass away. The universe itself will be destroyed. Everything will come to an end and there will only be this throne by which we are judged, which we come before and we are judged. And so there's this moment where everything is away, right? Satan and the Antichrist and all who have opposed God and those who have not uh, been saved are all cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. And all that is left is those who have been faithful, those who have been saved, and those who worship the Lord. And as all of us are culminated and waiting, what happens is this new heaven and this new earth are brought about, and it is amazing. And I want us to look at where this kind of this happily ever after finally begins. And so turn with me in Revelation chapter 21. We're going to be starting in verse 1. We're going to go through verse 6, and then I'll, I'll direct you from there. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And as I look at this, there's this moment, right, where we see there is this new, this word new is used, right? It's not something that's been recycled. It's not something that's been refurbished. It's not something that's been repurposed. It is brand spanking new. It has been created and it has been gathered together specifically for us to be new, to have a new purpose and to be eternal and be forever and be our dwelling place. And we get excited because we see that it was for us. It was prepared for us. But verse 3 is where I truly get excited. Follow along. It says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain Anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for the words are trustworthy and true. 
And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And so we see this moment, this glorious moment where we are together with God. And as we are together with God, he wipes away all tears. There's no mourning. There's no crying. There's no pain. All of that passes away. And not only does the bad pass away, but we are given this great and new thing. Right? If you see earlier on, it says in verse 1, and the sea was no more. Right? There's this, there's this new heaven, and there's this new earth, and for some reason... John says, he, find, he sees it important to say, and there wasn't sea. There wasn't any water. And so then the question comes, what are we going to drink, right? What, what's going to keep us alive? We know that water is really essential to life. And the, the question is actually answered in verse 6. And we look back, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty... I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So not only is there this passing away of all this this stuff that we have been longing to get rid of, right? This death and this pain and this sorrow and this mourning. But on top of it, the very thing that keeps us nourished, the very thing that refreshes us, the very thing that life is given from is God. He says there's this spring of life and I'll give it to you and you'll drink and you won't want for anything. And then he continues down, jump down to verse nine. It says this. Then came one of the angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me this holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. And then he proceeds after verse 11 to talk about the very specifics of this this city and its measurements and what it will look like. And uh, we could dive into that this morning, but there is so much that I could preach for another month on that. Uh, So we're going to skip down to verse 22, and it says this. In this city, he's talking about after uh, he's laid out the specifics of it, he says, there's one thing. If you looked at the specifics of the city, you will notice one thing is missing. Verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, And the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. And the lamp is the Lamb. And so we look at this chapter and we see this this glorious culmination of all that Scripture, all from, from Genesis 2, from the fall, has pointed to. Right after we and our disobedience wrecked. Our relationship with God and we're cast out of the garden everything from that point on has just been waiting waiting 
All right, we had this curse of sin that was on us, and we've been waiting, and we've been waiting, and we've been waiting, and over and over and over in Scripture, there's this pointing, hey, there's going to come a time when it's gone. There's going to come a time when it's done. There's going to come a time when death is done. There's going to come a time when pain is done. There's going to come a time when you will be sustained not on mortal toil, not on hard work, not on having to work it out on your own, but on God himself. There's going to come a time when you can actually be with God. Where you don't have to go to this temple. You don't have to go to these priests and have them sacrifice for you. You don't have to go to this place and make yourself clean and holy because you will be holy. There will come a time. Keep waiting. Keep waiting. You're going to see it. It's going to be there. Be patient. Look towards it. Be ready. And all of our lives... All of eternity past is pointing to this point where there is finality. And it's greater than anyone could ever have imagined. It's the greatest happily ever after. And we see in this city, Jerusalem, as it descends, there is God living. And the reason why I find verse 3 so incredible to me, and, and the reason why I, I, I think we need to look at it a little bit more in depth this morning, is even John is like, I got to emphasize this. I don't think that you guys really understand what I'm talking about here. Look back at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Now you may be looking and you're like, Angel, like, it seems like you went to the redundancy school of redundancy, right? You said the same thing like over and over and over again. Like, why do you feel a need? Like, couldn't you just say, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man? Well, he wanted to emphasize, you know, it wasn't just like, oh yeah, God will be with you in your hearts. You know, it won't just be like, yeah, you know, your friendship and like the kindness and the worship of God, that will be like God is there. No, he's like, you're in God's home. Like God is living among you, right? His dwelling place uh, is with man and he will dwell with them. He will live there. He's not just going to like, oh, this is his summer home. He comes in vacation sometimes, and then he goes and leaves. No, like, this is where he lives. This is his permanent residence. This is where his mail's coming, right? And they will be his people. We'll be his family. We will be his household. We will be with him. And God himself, there won't be some substitute. There won't be some placeholder. There won't be an Ark of the Covenant. There won't be a priest There will be God himself, and he will be there as our God. And I look and I say, wow, wow. Man, that is astounding. God will live among us. He will be there. He will dwell. He will live. He himself will be with us. 
and we worship Him together alongside each other. And our worship is not resigned to a place, right? It's made it specific. There's no temple, right? We don't go to some place. We are living in the temple. And we are there together. And we don't need to go anywhere because God is with us. And we worship him and we praise him by just being able to be around him in his dwelling place. And I look to this moment and I say, man, that's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I look to and I go, that is exciting. That is exactly what I want. There is nothing else that will ever satisfy me to the same degree as being alongside of God. My soul will forever yearn for that. And as I look and I say, You know, hey, that's where my aim is, right? That's where my focus should be. As I look to eternity, I say, man, that will be forever. That is what's great. That's what I want. I look and I think, man, I get distracted from that a lot, right? If this is the greatest send-off of all time, if this is the greatest finale in the history of the universe, if this is the culmination of everything that I am waiting for and living my life for, why don't I ever seem to think about it? It was interesting. I was listening to a sermon this week uh, by Pastor John MacArthur, and he asked this question kind of as he, he started off. He said, how often do you think about heaven? I thought to myself, well, this week I've thought about it a lot, right, as I've been preparing. But I immediately felt convicted. I, I was like, man, I, I really don't think about heaven all that much. When I read scripture, I'm reading about things that will help me get through my day today, it feels like, more often than I'm reading about what heaven will be like or what heaven will look like. Or when I'm sitting in traffic on M15, the last thing on my mind is heaven and the road work or the construction of the gold streets, right? I don't feel like I think about heaven as much as I say that it's my aim. If it's what I truly should be focused on, if it's what I truly should be devoted to, if I truly am am living for that moment where all of it comes to a head and I'm with God, why don't I ever think about it? Why don't I ever live the same way for it? And it's interesting. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is writing and he's talking about how we can't get our mindset distorted. We can't get our picture of where we belong skewed. And he says this. But our citizenship, in verse 20, sorry, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ 
who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. He says that we are waiting. We are waiting. And as we wait, we're not citizens of earth. We're citizens of heaven. We're not citizens of Genesee or Oakland County. We're citizens of heaven. And he says, stop getting focused on your earthly residence. Stop getting focused on your earthly issues. Stop getting focused on striving after this thing or that thing. Stop getting focused on what doesn't matter. You have a home. Your address is not your street address, your mailing address. It is heaven. It is the same as God's. And so we must remain concerned about heaven. We must remain focused on heaven. We can't get distracted by anything other than what our aim should be. And when I look and I read Revelation 21, I look and I say, man, that is deserving of my focus. And then I get distracted by finances, get distracted by the weeds in my lawn, get distracted by taxes, get distracted by cars, I get distracted by medical bills and doctors and and all these different things, I get distracted over and over and over. And not to say that those things don't have an effect on us. They do. And scripture is very clear of how Christ steps in and he gives us peace. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But he says, stop getting so concerned. Satan is doing his best to help you forget where you live. To forget your home. And what he's saying here is, don't forget what's being prepared for you. He's saying, we must live for what is to come instead of what is passing away. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Colossae, and he's telling them this same idea. He's saying, you guys are getting way too focused on What's right in front of you, this flesh, this world. He says, it's always going to be there to distract you. He's saying, you got to get your mind out of the world and into where your home is. Colossians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 2 says this. Set your mind on things that are above. What's above? Heaven. Not on the things that are earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's saying, your mind's got to be on glory. Your mind's got to be on heaven. you got to be thinking about what's coming. You want to live differently in your world? Stop thinking about your world and start thinking about heaven. 
He says, we must live for what is to come, what will be eternity, and instead of what is passing away. Your mind has to be focused on not what's in the world, but on the glory of what is to come. And what he's saying here is, you got to have a heavenly mindset. Right? You have to have this mindset that is truly focused on heaven. Your attitude, your thoughts has to be heavenly. Has to be around, centered around this coming new heaven and new earth. This glory of God that will be established. There's always this saying in my house that my dad had. He said, you got to live differently today so you can live how you want tomorrow, right? And the idea is, you know, if you, he would always say it to me in terms of money, right? I always wanted a dirt bike growing up. He's like, you can't spend your money on like a $10 toy from Walmart every time you want to go there if you really want a dirt bike. But that same idea is true. He says, you can't live today how everyone else is living. You can't live today focused on the world and expect for eternity to be how you live. You can't live today in the rest of the world and not see heaven and not see the obedience of God and not see the glory that is to come and expect to find peace. You can't live in your world that's fading away and being destroyed and that is ultimately going to come to an end and feel assurance. It's not going to be there. We have to live for what is coming instead of what's being kept, what is passing away. And so the first part of that is a heavenly mindset brings motivation, right? As we look and as we have this heavenly mindset and we understand what is to come, we look and it should motivate us towards God. It should motivate us. And as our aim is set on heaven, we begin to live for what is eternal. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, the person who is speaking, person who is writing, he's talking about how we should have this motivation, this, this purpose, this, this drive. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and and 2, it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with the endurance of the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, there's this race, this race that's being run, and both the prize and the finish line come in heaven. So if you're, if you're running this race, you, you can't get distracted by every little thing. You can't get, stop at the lazy boy store and just chill. You gotta stay focused on what you're running to. And then he gives this example of Jesus, how Jesus was so motivated 
to get us into heaven that he went and he endured the cross and he died on the cross and he rose again because he had a heavenly mindset because he was so motivated for heaven and wanting us there with him and wanting us redeemed that he was willing to run the race and stay focused as he ran and we should be reminded that we need that same motivation that we have to stop getting distracted or as the writer of Hebrews says stop putting burdens on ourselves he says put them aside leave them have you tried running a race in winter clothes it doesn't work he says shed them get rid of it stop running all these things but instead run with endurance and motivation and he reminds us that that motivation shouldn't be misplaced as we look to eternity we shouldn't place that motivation in the world or in what we can get in this time here we should place that motivation in what is to come and the next part that we see is a heavenly mindset brings holiness Right, This motivation as we run for what is coming in eternity, that motivation should be focused on holiness. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. As we run and as we seek God and as we remain focused on heaven, Peter, he gives us this this goal for what our motivation should be focused on, what the focus should be. As heaven motivates us, he says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus as you set your hope on what is to come and that hope is salvation and what salvation means is eternity in heaven with God and as you do this he says this is what that life should look like this is where that motivation should be as your mind is set here verse 14 as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for i am holy he says as you live and as you seek to live for heaven he says you should begin living differently and what's different is we obey christ we obey god's word we look to god's word and we say you know what i may not understand it all the time may not always make sense but i know this to be right And this idea of holiness is being set apart, being completely different. And as this place, this new heaven and this new earth and the new Jerusalem that has been given to us, these are holy places because they are new and they've been set apart for us by God. We need to make ourselves set apart for God. And we do that through obedience. You see, our motivation should be directed towards obedience, towards aiming ourselves at heaven and seeing as holiness reigns in heaven that we should pursue that now. And when we focus,
focus our minds on heaven as we, and we live as God's people, as a holy people, and we aim our motivation towards God, we begin to live it out. And not only is this pleasing to God, not only does God look and he say, this is awesome, this is amazing, you're doing exactly what I want from you, we see that it begins to prepare us for eternity But the thing that we start seeing in our normal lives is it changes our present reality. You see, I told you we're going to talk a little bit about peace, and that's where we're ending this morning. You see, a heavenly mindset brings about peace. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul is writing about how this, this heavenly mindset or this this citizenship of heaven, this aim, this focus on exactly what we see in Revelation chapter 21 will lead us and shape our lives today. How this holiness will affect our lives. It says this, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness Be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And I love that that those final two verses, verses 8 and 9, right when he says, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, I can't help but picture heaven in those words. He says, whatever is those things, and he knows as he writes that it's heaven and God, and only heaven because God is there. He says, think about those things. And then, as you think about those things, and and you learn them, practice them. That's that motivation and that holiness. And he says, as you do those things, you will receive a peace that you don't even understand. That doesn't even make sense. As you live, and as you focus on what is to come, and on what is honorable, and what is true, and what is just, and all these different things... You know what? All the burdens of life seem to cast themselves off of you. That as you obey Christ, he will give you peace. He's not going to take away all those things. That's coming. The trials will still be there. The hardships will still be there. The frustrations will still be there. But here's the thing. As you focus on eternity, those troubles affect you less and less and less. Because what causes you fear and anxiety and stress, it starts to melt away because you see how temporary those things are in comparison to what is eternal in heaven. 
how finite those things are in comparison to eternity with God. And so this week, as we go into our world and as we walk out these doors and we live in this finite and fading world, I want to encourage you, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Dwell on heaven. Think on heaven. And maybe this week for you, it means coming back and reading Revelation 21. Read it every day if you need to. Focus on what's to come. Focus on what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, commendable, excellent, what's worthy of praise. Think about that. Focus on that. And that is Christ Jesus and his coming and heaven, the new heaven and new earth that he's preparing for us. Focus on what is waiting. Live for what is to come instead of what is passing away. Set your mind on heaven. Seek the motivation. Seek holiness and seek peace that comes as we live for eternity. Let's pray.